Good morning. If you looked on your study guide, and it's also on the screen, the question about our lesson, where do we find strength for life's greatest challenges? Where do we find strength for life's greatest challenges? Because sometimes you need a little extra strength. Sometimes you need help just getting through the day. And there are all kinds of things you can buy and drink and consume. People want you to kind of help you get through the day. I mean, there's the five-hour energy supplement. You've seen that, you know, and Red Bull, you know, gives you wings. Some days you think, I need some wings. Several years ago, Pepsi had a commercial they ran during the Super Bowl. Uh, at the time, the product was called Pepsi Max. You remember that one? Uh, had extra caffeine, I think ginseng and some other things too. It had all these people sleeping. Uh, just in case you've slept since then, look at this clip, see if you remember the commercial. Joe, I'll tell you what, this first half has been awfully impressive, and he has looked as comfortable as I've ever seen him in the pocket. This. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. up people I have to be when I watched that I was looking for some of you in there you know I thought I know that guy you know sits on the right side toward the back you know kind of dozing off thought I'd call out a few names but I won't go there but we all felt like that haven't we you know just need some help getting through but what we know is it's not found in a bottle it's not in a drink wouldn't it be great if you could take a pill and it would give you the fruit of the spirit every morning you just take one maybe two and for the rest of the day, you would have patience. You know, you could love. You know, you would be steadfast. All the things you need, just take that pill every morning. But we know it doesn't work that way. So where do we find strength when we need it most? John 15, 5, Jesus gives the answer to that question. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. You can follow along there. The verses are going to be on the screen, but sometimes you just need to, to see it with your own eyes in your own Bible. We're going to start a series today on some of the I am statements of Jesus. In John's gospel, he records several of these where he would say, I am this, I am this. In each one of these, he's revealing a little bit about himself, who he is, but also a part of that identifying who he is. He also shares a little bit about his relationship with us and why that matters, that he is these things. So the question we're addressing today, because every one of them really answers the question, so the question today really is, who's going to give me strength? And Jesus answers that question in John 15 and says, I am. I am the vine. You are the branches. But I think to really appreciate 
John 15, we need to understand the context. Why did he say this? Why did he say this now? What does this mean? So if you just kind of look at your Bible there, you're in John 15, then you know you're toward the end of the gospel. So that kind of tells you you're toward the end of Jesus' life. In fact, you're in these final days, really final hours with them. And in these moments, these final days, final hours, even now, we know your words are carefully chosen. Some of you have been there with somebody during their final hours. And you know they want to say just the right thing. The father will say to his son, I love you. I'm proud of you. Words he needs to say and the son needs to hear. Or maybe the mom would say to her grown children, you promise me you will take care of each other. Or maybe that husband will say to his wife, I love you. Wish I could have been with you more. Those final words, they mean something. They're special. Well, John 15 is one of those moments. Jesus is down to the last. So it's a time of final words. He knows he doesn't have much time. Now, again, to set the stage a little bit, we're in John 15. and John 13 and 14, they've been in the upper room. John 13, remember, is where Jesus washes their feet and he teaches them about being a servant. They needed to hear that. We need to hear that. But in John 14, he's telling them other things. Like, look at verse 18 and 19. I put it on the screen. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Then he says this in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the group exits the upper room in silence, wondering what does all this mean? And Jesus is not only thinking about them, he's also thinking about us because he knows through inspiration we're going to have these words They're going to face challenges. We're going to face challenges. And he knows we're going to face challenges. And we need to know where the strength comes from. So let's take just a moment, put that on pause, and think about some areas we need strength. Well, one area that we all need strength is to help us get through what we can't get through on our own. We all need strength for that. Don't you find that to be true? You find yourself in a situation where I didn't think this would ever happen to me, but now it's happened to you. Where am I going to find the strength for doing that? See, the disciples were going to experience that. It wasn't just going to be the coming days so difficult, but they would be persecuted. The people had a a, a target on their back. They would be pressured because they followed Jesus. Tradition tells us that eventually all of them would be killed because of their faith. That is, except for John. And he was banished to another island. So they're going to need this strength to endure suffering that they never imagined. When you think about needing strength to get through what you can't go through on your own, maybe you are thinking, you're going through that now. Again, never thought this would happen to me, but it's happening to you. I know the stories. You know the stories. We hear them all the time. Another pregnancy test comes back negative. Another month without a job. The doctor tells me a diagnosis I don't want to hear. About to lose the house. Huge bill comes to you, and you're wondering, how am I going to pay this? How am I going to survive? How am I going to keep my head above water? Where am I going to get the strength to hang on? If that's not you now, hang on because it may be a few days, a few years, and you will be there. At some point, you're going to have that moment where you don't have the strength to get through it on your own. And that's going to be your question. Where 
might again get at the strength for times like that. Here's another area we need strength to help us not to do what we know we shouldn't. To help us not to do what we know we shouldn't. I mean, we're constantly being tempted at every turn, it seems like. And we need strength to overcome this temptation. I mean, our heart is right. We know what's right. We just need help doing what's right. And yet we keep stumbling, not following through. We're inconsistent because we know we're not strong enough on our own. Most people I talk with, you know, they're not evil people. They don't want to make the wrong choices, but they do make the wrong choices. They don't, be, they don't want to be the one to cheat or to lie or to watch porn, but they do. They don't have the strength in themselves to say no. They don't want to be that person, but they are that person. Where do you get the strength to not do what you know you shouldn't? Well, here's another area we need strength to help us do what we know we should. Just do what's right. We get this picture of, of who we are, who we should be, and we want to be that person. It sounds good. And we know, hey, I need to be better. I want to be the one who is generous to the person who is in need. I want to be the one to stand up for my faith, to invite somebody to come to worship for me. I want to be the voice for the one who has no voice. Maybe just personally at home. I want to be more patient with my children. I want to be more gracious with my spouse. I want to be a good neighbor, just a good friend. But then we don't. We fall short. We fail. We lack the strength. Where do we get the strength to do what we know we should? Jesus knows we need the strength, and he knows where we can get it. That's what he's talking about here in John 15. So back to the text. They walk out of the upper room. It's the cool of the night. Jesus leads them to the Garden of Gethsemane. You get the idea. They have no clue what's coming next, but Jesus knows what's coming next. Betrayal, arrests, beatings, death. That's what's coming next. So they pass through these vineyards, been growing for generations. Jesus got these final moments. He's down to moments now. What do you say? You can almost picture him standing there in the vineyard, maybe a vine right behind him, saying these words, I am the vine. And they're just seeing it as they're walking with him in the garden. He says, I am the true vine, verse 1, and my father is the vine dresser. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The NIV says gardener. You might remember the King James says husbandman. The Christian, Holman Christian Standard Bible says vineyard keeper. We get the picture. I am the true vine. He says, my father, he's taking care of everything. He wants them to understand. Here's the message. It's all about a relationship with him. He's the vine, that they, that we are the branches. But when we're not connected to the vine, we don't have any power. We don't have any strength. We're not going to make it. So the message he wants to make clear, with this little bit of time left, stay connected. Stay connected to the vine. He's the power source. It's not in the branch. It is in the vine. So if we're going to find this strength, how do we do it? I put these on the screen. Step number one, and this is hard, but acknowledge our own weakness. Acknowledge our own weaknesses. I'm just the branch. I'm not the vine. I need strength. I was reading this week the most dreaded question of a job interview. You know what it is? The most dreaded question when you go looking for a job? 
Tell me your greatest weakness. How do you answer that? Because you say, well, I don't have one. Well, that's not a good answer. You're arrogant. You're not going to get the job. You tell them all your weaknesses, well, you're surely not going to get the job. So what do you say? How are you honest? How are you truthful? Monster.com, the internet job uh, website, they give advice. They say this, when you're asked what your greatest weakness is, disguise your weakness as a strength. Have you heard this before? Say something like, well, I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist, so I can be too hard on myself. Sounds good, doesn't it? Think, hey, this, this person's a worker. Or, or maybe say, I probably work a little too hard at my job so my life can get a little out of balance. That's how you tell them your weakness. Or they even say this, tell them your weakness, but explain how you've already overcome that weakness. Like, well, I tend to be a very task-oriented person, but I've learned the best way to get something done is to involve a team of people. Good answers, aren't they? What they say don't do is that don't, don't share a weakness if it has something to do with the job. Like, if you're applying for an accountant job, don't say, well, I'm not good with numbers. You know, don't, don't go there, you know. So watch how you answer that. But here's the message throughout that whole website, throughout the whole world, really. Don't admit that you have a weakness. Don't say that. Don't come clean about that. Admit anything but that. And that's the kind of mindset, mentality, that we can't help but grow up thinking. You put this perception that you're strong, that you've got it all together, that everything's good. We even do that on Sunday, that everything's fine. Nope, nope, no problems. All is good. Now, we might be projecting that to people without even thinking about it. But they can easily get that impression. Whether we know it or not, we give this false impression that we're strong, but we're not strong. We do have weaknesses, and that we can't handle everything that comes our way. See, in a crowd of really this size, whether I knew you or not, there's a crowd of this size. What I know is there are marriages in this room who are in trouble, and trouble might be a kind word. There are some people in this room, your bank accounts are not near enough for the bills that are due now, maybe even past due. There are some relationships in this room that are strained. There's somebody, your family, your friend, it's not as it should be. Some of you students are so stressed about your job, I mean, your, your, your grades, because you're thinking the semester is winding down. Have I waited too late? You are under an enormous pressure. Yet there is something about us that we want others to think that we've got all of our stuff together, that we can handle anything that comes our way. And yet the Bible teaches from beginning to end, admit your weakness. Admit your weakness. Be open with God. That's the perfect place to receive strength from Him. Look what Paul wrote to the church in 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at verse 10, but before our home Bible study tonight, read verse 10 verses. This is the whole uh, conversation he shares uh, with the church at Corinth about his thorn in the flesh. Remember that? And he summarizes this way, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He also wrote 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. When we acknowledge our weaknesses, we are then in the positions of God's strength to flow through us. 
Sometimes we think of the Bible as being full of these men and women of God who were great heroes because they did this amazing thing. And they did amazing things. But what we know that these same people were flawed and have amazing weaknesses. The Bible tells us about them. Here's a short list. You could probably add to it. Abraham was old. Leah was unattractive. Moses stuttered. Elijah was depressed. Jeremiah was stressed. Jonah was cowardly. John the Baptist, eccentric is a nice word. Peter, impulsive. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus was dishonest. Nobody liked him. Thomas had doubts. Paul struggled with his health. Timothy was timid. The list goes on and on. Look, this whole message Jesus is saying, this sermon today, we're not saying the message is not here. Make yourself weak. You are weak. Just acknowledge that you have weakness. That's what he's saying here. On, the, on your own, the Bible says we can't do anything. Jesus says we're a branch. That's what we are. We're just the branch. So you acknowledge your weakness. You humble yourself before God. That's what he's saying here. And notice what he mentions here in verse 1. I am the true vine. True, meaning there's a false. There's fake. They look alive. They look real. They look promising. But they're not. I am the true vine, he says. What we think will give us power, they don't. It may be like an energy drink or a huge shot of caffeine. It may zip for a while, and then you crash. And we've all been there. I think that we get in the most trouble it's when we think we are the vine. We don't admit that. We don't talk that way. But we think that way. And we think that way because the rest of the world thinks that way. Remember a couple of months ago we talked about how we can't help but be affected by our culture. We showed the video, the waiting room, everybody's standing up. Standing, remember that? It's like we can't help but be affected. And this is the message of our culture. You're the vine. You need power. You dig deep. The power is within you. Think about the thousands and thousands of self-help books that are published year after year with this message. Be the best you. You can be the vine. It's up to you. But here's the point. I put this on the screen. Strength comes not from within. Strength comes from above. That's what he's saying here. And again, the Bible is full of these stories. I remind you of just one. Remember Moses when he ran away from Egypt? And we remember why he ran away from Egypt, because he killed the Egyptian, because he was beating on the Hebrew. And so he runs for his life because Pharaoh put an X on his back. He was a target. So he goes to Midian, he marries Zipporah. Meanwhile, the situation for the Hebrews back in slavery is not getting any better. God decides it is time. God appears to Moses in that bush that never burned. Look on the screen, Exodus 3, 4, and 5. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place of which you are standing is holy ground. So God identifies himself in the following verses of being the God of his ancestors. Moses is very respectful. God kind of catches him up on what's happened since Moses ran away from Egypt. How it's gone from bad to worse. Something's got to happen, and now it's time. It's time to act. And then God said something to Moses that Moses was not expecting. This is not where he thought the conversation was going to go. Look in verse 10. God says, Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now notice, God does not say, oh yes you are. I made you. I know you can do it. You've got the strength. He doesn't say that. Look what he says in verse 12. I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the promise. The call was not for Moses to dig down deep and find the strength from within. The call for Moses is to acknowledge the strength comes from above. Now, I'd love to say Moses heard that and he believed. But if you're familiar with this story, and I encourage you to go back and read the rest of that chapter. In fact, he goes back and remember that conversation with Moses? No, no, no. Moses says over and over, not me. All these reasons not. And God finally gets angry at him on to the next chapter. Because Moses wasn't believing. And you and I can be just like that. We know what the Bible says. And just like Moses, we go, nope, nope. We tell God no. Even though Jesus is saying, I am the vine. That's where the power is. We miss it just the same. That's where the strength comes from. Look on the screen at Philippians 4.13. This is from the Amplified Version. And I think it renders it well. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses his inner strength into me. Isn't that worded well? Look at this next one. I think it really just translates well. Because this is the message of the whole chapter of Philippians 4. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. That's what he was writing about. And that's the truth. But back to our text, John 15, 2. Jesus continues the explanation of how God is the vine dresser, the gardener. And then notice his actions, what he says. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I want you to look at the screen and look in your Bible carefully at these words because I want to make sure that you hear what Jesus said. Because sometimes we just half listen or we read and we're not really gathering what was actually said because you would think and you may have heard in your mind that he said, anyone who doesn't bear fruit, he prunes. But that's not what he says. What he says here. Every branch that does not, that does bear fruit, he prunes. And pruning is not easy. Pruning is not pleasant. It's a difficult process. Now, those of you who garden, you know this. You understand the imagery. You, you understand it. But if you don't garden or if you're new to that, it's, it's kind of hard to watch sometimes to see something pruned so severely. Look at this next picture. See, and I went to Hewitt's Garden Shop in Nashville. It's a great place. And this, about this time last year, I took a picture of this greenhouse just full of these red geraniums. It was just beautiful. It was a cold, cold day. I didn't sp think spring was ever going to come. And so seeing that was just such a beautiful thing. And then this is not my picture. I found this online because I deleted mine. But I took a picture because about partway through, there was one of the workers there with a five-gallon bucket. And she was pinching off every single one of those red blooms. And filling that bucket, and I just watched her, and I know this, you know this, but just watching her, she filled that bucket up, and then she went to the end of the aisle, and she poured in this huge bin full of blooms, pinching every one of them back. It's hard to watch. 
It's like, I love the red. It was such a beautiful thing. Spring's coming. Isn't that great? But what she knew is that by pruning that plant, it would bush out and bloom even more. It looks painful. It looks bad. But it was for the plant's own good. We understand that. God does the same thing. So here's the point. Step number two, accept God's pruning in our lives. Accept God's pruning in our lives. Just accept it. And again, this is not easy. <laughs> you're bearing fruit. You're doing good. So what does God do in response to that? He prunes you. Oh my, that hurts. Cause you to doubt. Wonder why is this happening to me? But maybe God is allowing some financial difficulty in your life. Because he knows you. And he knows you have an inclination to be too attached to stuff and that your faith is in your bank balance. So he brings that pruning. Or maybe he's allowing some physical challenges, maybe a health difficulty, because he wants you to know that it's in your weakness that you will experience his strength. Maybe he's allowing that difficulty in a relationship so that you will grow to be steadfast and loving and forgiving and patient and to truly know what God's agape, unconditional love is all about. That for a lot of us, we only grow that in that difficult relationship because he knows we'll be stronger and better for it. Look at these scriptures, Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then James writes in chapter 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The only way, the only way that we're really going to have the strength that we need, that God wants us to have, the only way that we're going to bear the fruit that he wants us to bear is going through the pruning process. It's not easy, but it's a step. Step number two, accept it. Well, here's step number three. Finding strength is abide. That's the word. In fact, it's the key to everything. It's like the, the, the whole theme of this chapter. It says there, look, look at John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you've marked in your Bibles, you already know it's ten times, abide is ten times in these ten verses. The NIV says the word remain. It means the same thing. Whichever word works for you, but, but, but abide, remain. But there's a part of me, and maybe you're this way too, where I don't like that word. I feel like a three-year-old being told by my parents to sit still. And I don't want to sit still. I want to do something. I want to move. And God is saying, abide, be still. But you know what? I'd rather be doing something. Give me some action steps. You know, step it up. Uh, just do something. Just something I can do. But Jesus is saying, no, just abide. Just abide. And we tend to think, I tend to think, maybe you're the same way, that we've got to do something. 
I've got to do something to receive God's strength. I've got to do something to receive God's blessing. And Jesus is telling us here, it doesn't work that way. Abide in me, he says. I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing outside of that. But that just goes against everything. The way we're wired, the way we think, the way we see the world. Because so much of life is about what you do, about production. If you produce enough at work, you get to keep your job, maybe advance in your job, maybe get paid more. If you score enough on a team, you get to play more. You don't sit out on the bench. Score enough on a, on a test, you get to stay in the program. You make the grade or get into the program. So much of life is about that. You produce. But that is not the way it works with God, even though sometimes we think that way. So we have this mentality that if I want to receive God's strength, if I want God's power, then I've got to do something. Do these steps. Complete something. Produce something. And Jesus is saying, abide. Abide. That's not just the first step. That is the step. Abide in me. It is so vitally important that we get this right. I'll put it at the end of the, on, the, on the slide there, the boxes. If you're filling the blanks, put that in there. I want to make sure you get this. Now, look around. If you've got somebody sleeping like in that commercial, wake them up. Because this is the take-home point. If you get nothing else, get this. John 15, this whole section is abide. That's what he's saying. You remain in me. That's the message. It's that final moment. He's about to go. And he tells them, when they come and betray me, abide. When they arrest me, abide. When they beat me, abide. When they nail me to the tree, abide. When I ascend to heaven, abide. When they come after you because you followed me, abide. I am the vine. You are the branches. This is the message. Just before he leaves, he says, I am the vine. You abide. And folks, it's through inspiration for us now. When your car breaks down and life is falling apart, abide. When your investments take a tumble, abide. When your spouse disappoints you again and again, abide. When your children break your heart, abide. When you lose your job, abide. When people make fun of you because of what you believe or where you worship, abide. That is the word. That is the message. You be the branch. That's who you are. He is the vine. General invitation. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to challenge you to do. If you're in Christ, let your prayer to God be just that. God, help me to be still and know that you are God. To abide. As I start my day, I go about my day. I'm doing the task, doing the menial, ending my day. Every moment of that, I'm abiding. Let him be the vine. He's the power. God, I need your strength. Help me to abide. But if you're not in Christ, this invitation song is to encourage you to make that connection. You can't abide in Christ if you're not in Christ.
So respond as we sing this song and share your faith that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. You repent of your sins. You let him make you that new creation as he washes you clean in baptism and gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then heed these simple but profound words, abide. That's our invitation. Let's stand and sing and encourage one another.